You're going to love this. Just love it. Promises, promises. To the left of me, jokers to the right, don't be one of them. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, here for another live hour with you. Live from Los Angeles, in the beautiful Pacifica Radio KPFK Studios, 90.7 FM, Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, on Liberal Justice Radio, and now on iTunes. Yes, you can run, but you can't hide from the Bradcast. Glad you could join us today. Uh, We've got a big show. We will be joined momentarily by Emmy award-winning journalist turned media activist Sue Wilson to discuss both the FCC's recent surprise vote to de-consolidate the media. I don't even know if that's a word. To de-consolidate, to unconsolidate uh, basically, they voted against media, corporate media consolidation, which they never do. So that's kind of encouraging. We'll talk to her in a little bit. And also, she has a very interesting take on the Supreme Court's McCutcheon decision. All of that is straight ahead. We've got some disturbing news today about Internet security and voting. Also, some good news. Some good news. Yeah, some good news for a change about the federal challenges against the polling place photo ID restrictions in both Texas and North Carolina. Uh, Also, as usual, Desi Doyen will be joining us for the latest Green News report. We've got a study, a new study on CNN and Fox News failing on climate change. Uh, Of course, CNN uh, looking for the plane and finding an ocean full of garbage instead. And one energy company receives a record fine for 85 years of toxic waste and... They couldn't be happier about it. Go figure. Uh, Maybe we'll even have time for a call or two. We will see. Uh, But a quick uh, item breaking today before we get to Sue Wilson. Um, On December 14th, uh, 2012, at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, 20 children and six adult staff members were shot and killed by a single gunman with a semi-automatic weapon and high-capacity magazine cartridges. Everyone, of course, remembers that. Uh, What folks may not remember is on the very same day, 
Uh, and this was pointed out by people who are uh, ardent gun proponents and opponents of gun safety regulations. They pointed out that on that very same day, back in 2012, December 14th, 20 kindergartners were were stabbed by a madman in China in a school in China where guns are highly regulated. It was a tragic, a horrible uh, incident. But uh, there was one difference uh, between what happened in China and what happened in Newtown. Uh, none of the children died in China in that attack. But unlike all of the 20 school children in Newtown, Connecticut, who were shot several times, each in a matter of minutes with a legally purchased and registered semi-automatic rifle equipped with high-capacity magazines, all of those school children lived. 20 of them who were stabbed that day, December 14, 2012, the same day that 20 children died at Sandy Hook. Uh, today, in Murraysville, Pennsylvania, 20 kids were injured during a mass stabbing at a high school near, near Pittsburgh. Uh, this is horrible. Uh, again, it's horrible. But this is from AP. A doctor says some victims of a multiple stabbing at a high school near Pittsburgh have suffered injuries classified as life-threatening, though all are expected to survive. Uh, I mention this because, you know, when that stat, when that shooting happened at Sandy Hook and uh, the scores of shootings, school shootings that have happened since, the hundreds of kids that have been killed uh, by guns since Sandy Hook that we don't even talk about anymore. One of the things you'll often hear uh, from these uh, these, you know, these well, let's say these folks who don't want to notice the well-regulated part of the Second Amendment uh, or who wish to make up nonsense to argue that regulated doesn't actually mean regulated. Yes, it appears in the Second Amendment. We, we don't like to point that out, but it means something totally different in the Second Amendment. Those people, those people who say, well, what, you know, if you, if you get rid of guns, and by the way, I'm not calling to get rid of guns, but that's what they like to say. You're a gun grabber. Why? Because I want background checks. You're a gun grabber. Why? Because I don't think you should have 100-round uh, magazines that you can buy off the Internet without anybody checking you. Gun grabber. Anyway, those people like to say, well, if they didn't have guns, uh, they would just use knives. Well, let me tell you something. If it was my kid in school, and if I had a choice of somebody with a, a high-capacity uh, semi-automatic rifle coming in, uh, and k gunning them down versus a crazy guy with a knife, as we saw in China, or with a knife, as we saw today. I can't imagine that anybody, any parent, wouldn't say, yeah, you know what, I'd rather have my kid go up against the knife than the gun. Uh, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous argument, but that was the one that came out at, at Sandy Hook. It comes up all the time with these uh, gun nuts. Let's call them gun nuts. They're gun nuts. You know, and this doesn't mean everybody who owns a gun is a gun nut. This is we're talking about the gun nuts who believe that the Constitution says you can make no laws whatsoever that has anything to do with regulating gun safety in any in any way, shape or form. Those gun nuts. That's the kind of nonsense they come up with. They have been coming up with that kind of nonsense for years. In fact, back in the 70s, the very same similar argument uh, made its way onto our airwaves. Some of you may remember this from 1970-something. Uh, 
This was Archie Bunker talking about gun safety. Did you know that 65% of the people murdered in the last 10 years were killed by handguns? Would it make you feel any better, little girl, if they was pushed out of windows? <laughs> wow, that's convoluted logic. Yes, and that's the kind of straight thinking I'm trying to put across. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the same kind of convoluted, convoluted logic. Uh, you know, luckily we haven't had any uh, uh, scores of uh, uh, mass window pushing lately. So yeah, if I had a choice, I'd rather they tried to push them out of windows. <sighs> Brother. All right, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I know this is going to come up and I know that you're going to see these gun people. See, they're stabbing people. They'll just uh, find a way. Yeah, well, they can stab people, but... So far, at least today in uh, Murraysville, Pennsylvania, they haven't killed anyone. And that's kind of a big difference. All right. With that said, with that off my chest, let me go to Sue Wilson, the media activist, director of Public Interest Pictures Broadcast Blues and a 22-year Emmy Award-winning veteran of broadcast journalism. She's worked uh, for CBS, for PBS, for Fox and NPR over the years. She's now the editor of the media criticism blog Sue Wilson Reports and founder of the Media Action Center at MediaActionCenter.net. But, of course, no doubt her proudest accomplishment uh, is as an occasional contributor on issues concerning the media and the FCC at Bradblog.com. So we're delighted she can join us today. Hey, Sue, welcome to the broadcast. Brad, how are things down in L.A.? Uh, well, they're okay, as long as we stay away from those uh, knife-wielding window pushers. Uh, Sue, I, we we, ha we were hoping to have you on uh, on the show last week, actually, and then the McCutcheon decision came down. I wanted to have you on to talk about uh, the surprising vote at the FCC last week. Uh, and then the McCutcheon decision came down on the same day we were going to air, and I had to push you off till this week. And I'm glad I did, because in the bargain, uh, you wrote, another piece, or you wrote a piece, about McCutcheon uh, and who is really going to be the winners from that uh, Supreme Court decision last week. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, let's jump into what I had hoped to talk to you about last week, which was this uh, surprising decision, I think it was surprising, uh, by the FCC uh, to vote against corporate media consolidation for the first time in what? Ever uh, explain to us what happened uh, in that vote uh, last week, and then we'll talk about this uh, this new FCC chair, Tom Wheeler. It's really exciting, Brad, because for the first time that in my memory, we're seeing that the Federal Communications Commission is coming out for the public it is supposed to be serving. Here's what it was all about. Um, if you can think about local television news, mm -hmm. and in your city. I'm going to guess that there are shared news services, meaning you pretty much see the same news on one station, and if you flip to another channel, you can see the same news on that station. That's right, and they pretend to be competitors, but it's the same news. I think it's Channel 9 and Channel 2 out here, owned by the same companies and doing the same news. And you find that dynamic all across the country. Well, there's media consolidation laws that say that these companies cannot own two of the same, uh, two TV stations in the same city, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, they got around that by saying, well, we don't own them. We're going to do a, a management deal. It was called a joint services agreement. Mm -hmm. And we will just manage the station for this other owner. Therefore, we don't own it. But in the bargain, they ended up consolidating two newsrooms down to one. 
that, of course, hurts the public because we're only hearing one side of news on on two different stations. Mm-hmm. It hurts uh, it hurts people who who have jobs, you know, in the news industry. Uh, anyway, they've been getting away with that for many many years. But this FCC, now chaired by Tom Wheeler, stood up last week and said, no, it's very, very clear that they are playing a shell game. It's very clear that they are trying to purposely skirt the media ownership rules. And they said, no, you're not going to get away with it. And this is what uh, Free Press President uh, uh, Craig Aaron, and actually Free Press, who's been fighting against us for a while, they, they call this these joint service agreements, these JSAs, covert consolidation. In other words, as you described, Sue Wilson, they didn't have to out and out come out and buy it, but they would provide services. And in this uh, in this new vote, they said, well, if a broadcaster accounts for more than 15 percent of another station's advertising sales, that would be seen by the FCC as the de facto licensee of that station. And that is not allowed under uh, under federal rules. So This seems like it's very, I I don't want to say good news, but encouraging news that we see this kind of vote for the first time in forever uh, under FCC, the new chair over there, Tom Wheeler. You see that similarly as encouraging and good news? It is very encouraging. I I mean, the previous uh, uh, Obama FCC, chaired by Julius Janiszewski, uh, he had no interest at all in, in rolling back any kind of consolidation. So to have a, a new sheriff in town come along and say, we're going to start enforcing rules, and those were his words. There are rules that we have to enforce. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my gosh, so, it's like there's a bright light shining <laughs> at the FCC. <laughs> yeah, really, there really is, because there are so many rules uh, that the FCC has that they've been ignoring for years. You know, people think that the, the Fairness Doctrine, by the way, which was one of their rules, uh, Ronald Reagan basically told them, uh, stop enforcing that rule uh, back, in the, uh, back in the 80s. And they didn't actually uh, take it off the books until a year or two ago, once again, under uh, Barack Obama's uh, first FCC chair, Julius Janikowski. So when it comes to enforcing rules, and I want to get to McCutcheon in a second, um, I know you have had a case, you have had a complaint that you filed with the FCC concerning uh, something that happened up in Wisconsin during the big uh, Scott Walker uh, uh, recall election. Give us a quick idea about what that uh, case was and where that case is at the moment, because I think it's also going to be uh, shortly on the desk of this same uh, FCC chair, Tom Wheeler. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, To make it a very short story, what we did in Wisconsin uh, was file a case that, that proved that a couple of local radio stations in Milwaukee we're giving millions of dollars of free airtime to supporters of Governor Scott Walker, but refused to give any time at all to supporters of his opponent. So we made a complaint based on that. I mean, it's called the Zappel Doctrine, but without getting into the weeds, it just is very, very simple. Mm-hmm. We're asking the FCC to enforce an existing rule that says if you're going to give airtime to supporters of one candidate, you have to give comparable time to supporters of the other candidate. And it doesn't matter which party we're talking about. It's just plain common sense fairness when it comes to campaigns 
on our public airwaves. Now, this is separate from the Fairness Doctrine, right? This is the Zappel Doctrine, and it is, as far as anybody knows, still in effect, right? Well, that gets a little bit murky. The way the Zappel Doctrine was written way back in 1969, it was written as an adjunct to the Fairness Doctrine. However, it was written in order to provide the intent of Section 315 of the Communications Act, which says is that if you have give airtime to one candidate, you have to give airtime to another candidate. That is law. Mm-hmm. This Zappel doctrine merely says, okay, it isn't just the candidate themselves, but it can be surrogates of that candidate. But that's you know that's where Clear Channel has come back and said, well, there is no Zappel doctrine because now there is no fairness doctrine, therefore uh, it doesn't exist. Uh, we will see whether or not the FCC agrees with that statement. And this was a case where in Wisconsin you had these right-wing talk shows on all of the stations. They're all supporting Scott Walker uh, and, and uh, his his opponent at the time, whose name I've already forgotten, Tom... Uh, Tom Barrett, yeah. Tom Barrett, yeah. Uh, his supporters wanted equal time. They Did they request, we'd like to get on the air, we'd like to respond to this nonsense that you're going uh, round and round uh, 24-7 on right-wing talk radio? Uh, did they actually make a request for some kind of time? Oh, yes. In fact, because that's part of the FCC rules. You mm-hmm. have to make a request. And so uh, we had people in Wisconsin who were writing the two stations every single day. The Clear Channel station just refused to answer. The station, which is owned by uh, Journal Communications, politely wrote back and said, no, we don't have to give you time. And the, uh, yeah. They made a very interesting case, WTMJ. We don't have to give you time because our talk radio shows are bona fide news. So, so you're telling me that, that being on the air and telling people, we need people to go out and volunteer for Scott Walker right now. Here's how you can do that. That's bonafide news? And this is a really important point. This gets right to it. They are making the claim that because, yes, in in fact, if we do uh, here at KPFK, if we do a top of the hour uh, or top of the hour news or our evening news, uh, that's one thing. You can cover a candidate uh, who comes to town. You don't have to give equal time for the other candidate or the other candidate's supporters because that's actual news. You know, the stuff that Walter Cronkite did. But what these guys are arguing is that their far right-wing crazy uh, uh, radio shows like Rush Limbaugh, they're saying, oh, well, when we talk about a candidate, it's bona fide news. So we also don't have to give equal time. And they're making a claim, in in essence, that Rush Limbaugh is not an entertainer. Uh, he's not a, a talk show host. He is bona fide news like Walter Cronkite. And that's the decision, I guess, that's going to come before FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler, uh, he is he going to have to decide, yes, those right-wing talk shows are, in fact, quote-unquote, bona fide news? He's either going to have to decide that the Zappel Doctrine is not in effect at all, mm-hmm. because it was part of the Fairness Doctrine. He could do that and sidestep the whole bona fide news decision. But if he looks at the intent of the law, of the equal-time law, and decide, yes, there is a rule on our books, yes, it is in effect, then he will have to determine whether uh, these shows are bona fide news. <laughs> going to be a very interesting decision. Where uh, Do we know when that decision from Tom Wheeler is going to uh, c- come down or when it's going to be put before the FCC for a vote? Any uh, time, uh, timeline yet, Sue Wilson? 
I can tell you that after Senator Tammy Baldwin's office made a routine call to the congressional liaison of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission started calling me. That would have been in January of this year. Um, and telling me, oh, yes, we, this will go to Tom Wheeler's desk personally. Uh, we are pushing very hard to have that decision made well in advance of the midterm elections. Can uh, anybody help? Is it, it, do you still need, I know for a while you were collecting uh, petitions, uh, signatures on a petition at MediaActionCenter.net. Is that petition, are those signatures still useful at this point? Yes, absolutely. In fact, now is the time because we know now that... This is no longer stalled. I want the audience to understand, the FCC tried to skirt this issue for a couple of years here. They have been trying to pretend they didn't even get this complaint. Well, they can't hide anymore. So, yes, definitely, please go and sign the petition. You know, a lot of these petitions, you wonder if they make any difference. This is one that really will, if we can get enough support to say, Tom Wheeler, this is a big deal. We want news to be news and not to be Rush Limbaugh. Oh, That's a big deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. Oh, silly you. They'll never do it. We'll see. We'll see if they do, because that is an, uh, an encouraging decision that they made last week. So, hey, uh, finally, once every 20 or 30 years, the FCC does something right. Maybe they'll do something right again. Uh, okay, uh, we've got a, a minute or two here. I want to get to your uh, your piece, McCutcheon Mints Millions for mass media over at bradblog.com. But before I ask you about that, let's, uh, let's hear Bill Maher's take on the McCutcheon decision from last week. Good news for people who need it the most are downtrodden millionaires and billionaires. <laughs> you know, the tough thing about being rich in America, folks, is you may have money and yachts and, like, you know, gold toilet handles. <laughs> but what you don't really have is a voice. Nobody listens to you. It's like you don't exist. It's like you're homeless, except you have many large homes. <laughs> well, luckily, we have a Supreme Court that is giving voice to our millionaires and billionaires. This week, they struck down the aggregate limits they have on individuals giving to candidates and parties. You know, you used to only be able to buy your congressman. Now you can buy your congressman and everyone else's, too. <laughs> Donald Trump can drive a pickup truck to the Capitol steps and say, who speaks English? I need eight of you. Hop in. Uh, yeah, which is funny, except uh, you could already buy eight of them before the McCutcheon decision. Now the Supreme Court has said you can buy as many as you want. There used to be an aggregate limit of something like $123,000. Now, millions. You can buy as many congressmen as you want, congressmen and women as you want, uh, thanks to the uh, uh, McCutcheon v. FEC decision last week. Uh, but, Sue Wilson, uh, you wrote about this at Brad Blog, and you said uh, it's, it's not only the candidates who are the winners in this, uh, in this deal. The real winners may be the corporate mainstream media. Oh, it's, it's really the broadcasters, radio and TV, because so many of these dollars get poured directly into political advertising. Uh, it, let's face it, people don't want to spend their political dollars on flyers that you get in the mail and you toss. You don't even read them. 
They want to catch you when you're making dinner and you're watching the 5 o'clock news, and they run a 30-second ad that manipulates your emotions and that gets you really riled up and angry, and it's probably lying to you, but they're going to get your vote that way. And they know that if they can do that on a continuous basis, they're going to win campaigns. Now, they're paying for these ads, and so their local TV station the local radio station to a limited degree, but mostly your local TV station is making millions and millions of dollars. In A few years ago in Los Angeles, we found that 42% profits were being made right there in L.A. TV stations, and most of those profits come from where? Political advertising. So now... Political advertising that can lie to you. Yeah, that can lie to you, and there's there's nothing they can do to it. They're they're do about it. They're perfectly allowed to lie to you. But is this the reason? So all of this new money now, as if Citizens United didn't put enough money into the uh, uh, campaign system, all of this new money between Citizens United and McCutcheon uh, is now going to be used for TV ads, for radio ads. Is going to go to those broadcasters. Uh, Sue, it, 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 does this explain in any way? And and. I realize this is just your thought here, your opinion here, but does this explain in any way why there was so little coverage, frankly, of the McCutcheon decision uh, before it came down? It had been, you know, sitting there for months with the Supreme Court. You heard almost nothing about it in the media. Uh, You know, I I often say when it comes to uh, things like global warming, one of the reasons that I believe the corporate media is not going out of their way to yell and scream and have their hair on fire about this because they make so much money from the fossil fuel industry, especially the news. I mean, watch MSNBC, CNN, or Fox. Every commercial break, you'll see some fossil fuel company. uh, You know, Exxon is wonderful. BP is cleaning up the earth. You know, whatever crap they want to sell. And, you know, I, I suspect if I was in that corporate media, I would think twice about going to war against fossil fuel if all of my money was, uh, you know, if, if all of my ads were, were being sold to that industry. So is it possible? Does this have any uh, explanation for why, frankly, the media was so quiet about Citizens United, so quiet about McCutcheon, uh, you know, compared to Hobby Lobby and, and that fight over Obamacare and, and birth control and all that? You heard a lot of noise about that. You heard almost nothing about McCutcheon. There's a conflict of interest. I mean, there can be absolutely no doubt. Once upon a time, broadcasters thought that their newscasts really were public service, and they did not try to make any money off of those newscasts at all. Well, you know, those days have changed. Yeah, they sure have since uh, the days of CBS and Bill Paley. Uh, when news was a lost leader and, uh, you know, the, the CBS Evening News was considered the, the crown jewel at the Tiffany Network. And it didn't matter if it made money. Uh, it was for prestige and it brought uh, viewers to their uh, to their networks. Yeah, the days have changed indeed. Uh, I caught this on uh, Twitter this afternoon. Senator Bernie Sanders uh, said, uh, quote, we have the people behind us. They have the money. And at the end of the day, the people will be stronger than the money. I hope Bernie Sanders is right, because it also brought to mind what Abraham Lincoln said uh, back in the 1860s when he said, quote, whoever can change public opinion can change the government. Uh, and that's my concern because uh, it seems like the right-wingers and the right-wingers on the Supreme Court have just bought public opinion, or at least they're trying to. Uh, well, Reed, you know, yeah. It, it, 
I just want to give a little bit of hope here, though. I still want to bring this back to these broadcasters are responsible to we the people. And we the people need to start meeting with the broadcasters, marching on the broadcasters. I would like to see an initiative floated in California banning all political ads on our public airwaves. They are our airwaves, and we ought to be able to have a say over this whole issue. I love that idea. Can the state uh, pass a law that says there will be no political uh, ads on the airwaves? Would they be able to get uh, away with that, or would that also be undermined by the same Supreme Court, who, who pretends to care about uh, state government and state rule? Well, I, I certainly think that, that we, the people of California, would vote for this, and on a, on a multi-party level. No one wants these lying ads on our airwaves. Would it go to the courts? You bet it would, but let's take it to the courts and let's have that fight. You're right. I love to see someone uh, pass that up in Sacramento, get it uh, on an initiative on uh, on the ballot. Uh, enough with these uh, ridiculous ads. Of course, the irony would be, in order to uh, successfully pass such an initiative, we'd have to have a whole lot of TV ads to do it. Uh, Sue Wilson from MediaActionCenter.net. Uh, you can check out, please go over there and sign her petition as well. Go to uh, Bradblog.com, read her article, McCutcheon Mints Millions for mass media. Sue, always great to talk to you. Uh, Thank you so much for what you do uh, in keeping us informed and fighting this fight that so few others uh, seem to be willing to fight. Thanks, Brad. Be well. Thank you. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. Cause I don't care too much for money, but money can buy me love. I'll give you all I've got to give. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Come back with much more Bradcast straight ahead. Uh, some troubling news about Internet voting. Some good news about voting, maybe, in Texas and North Carolina. Uh, don't know if we'll have time or not, but you might be able to call us at 818-985-5735. 818-985-5735. I'll certainly be able to take your tweets at the Brad Blog. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, the Brad at the Brad Blog on the Twitters. Uh, stay tuned. Much more straight ahead. This is your Bradcast. I don't care too much for money. Money can buy me love. I'm Andrew Tonkovich, host of Bibliocracy, an enthusiastic booster of books, reading, and this listener-supported arts and culture-loving station. I'll be broadcasting Bibliocracy live from this year's LA Times Festival of Books, where KPFK, a media sponsor, hosts a booth number 210. Hear me and watch, if you're at the festival, interview writers and editors live starting at 10 a.m., followed by two regular Sunday morning public affairs favorites, Ian Masters and Maria Armudian, who will also present their respective shows live. Ian Masters' essential 11 a.m. background briefing and the most excellent scholars circle with Armudian at noon. KPFK is a proud, active, and live on the air from the LA Times Festival of Books sponsor, stop by the station's booth, that's number 210, say hello to staff and volunteers, programmers and other supporters and fans of KPFK. Once again, front and center with a commitment to the arts, politics, and ideas you won't hear or see anywhere else. Saturday and Sunday, April 12th and 13th, LA Times Festival of Books. What is love? 
Go telling me that. You could try telling me that, but I won't listen. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. You can tweet me at the Bradblog. Would love to hear from you. Uh, okay, a number of things here. Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of Bill Maher, uh, he will be joining John Wiener at uh, at four o'clock in the four o'clock report. You'll want to uh, stay tuned for that. We never get Bill Maher on this show, does he? What's up with that? I got to get a new producer. Anyway, uh, there is a uh, a flaw found. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, late yesterday, this broke. Um, and yes, this has to do with voting. Bear with me. I'll explain to you why this has to do with voting. This uh, broke late yesterday in the New York Times. The tiny padlock icon... That sits next to many web addresses on your web browser, suggesting protection of users' most sensitive information like passwords, stored files, bank details, even social security numbers, is broken. A flaw has been discovered in one of the Internet's key encryption methods, potentially facing a wide swath, forcing a wide swath of websites to swap out the virtual keys that generate private connections between the sites and their customers. On Tuesday afternoon, many organizations were heeding the warning. Companies like LastPass, the password manager, and Tumblr, the social network owned by Yahoo, said they had issued fixes and warned users to immediately swap out their usernames and passwords. The vulnerability involves a serious bug in OpenSSL, the technology, it's an open source technology, by the way, that powers encryption for two-thirds of web servers. The bug allows attackers to access the memory on any web server running OpenSSL and take information like customer usernames, passwords, sensitive banking details, trade secrets, and the private encryption keys that organizations use to communicate privately with their customers. Quote, it's a serious bug in that it doesn't leave any trace, says David Chartier, the uh, chief executive at Codenomicon. Bad guys can access the memory on a uh, on a machine and take encryption keys, usernames, passwords, valuable intellectual property, and there's no trace they have been there. Quote, this still means that the little lock icon, and you've seen this, HTTPS up in your browser, the little lock icon that we've all trusted to keep our passwords, personal emails, and credit cards safe uh, was actually making all that information accessible to anyone who knew about the exploit. Tumblr's security team wrote on their site, This might be a good day to call in sick and take some time to change your passwords everywhere, especially your high security services like email, file storage, and banking, which may have been compromised by this bug. Okay, this is pretty serious, and I don't say this to scare you, at least not not about using the Internet. Uh, I say this to scare you (laughs) about Internet voting and about this uh, this idea that people seem to have that, uh, oh, if only our uh, our vote counting and vote recording computers were open source, everything would be fine. No, 
they wouldn't be fine. Open SSL has been open for years and years, and no one noticed that bug until now. Open source, when you're using uh, voting computers, it doesn't matter if you look at the uh, source code on Monday. There is no way to know, uh, essentially, that that same source code was actually used in the voting computers on Tuesday. And don't get me wrong, it's not just the touchscreen systems. We've talked about this for years and years on this show and uh, at, uh, at Bradblog. Uh, even if you have a paper ballot in almost every state, uh, actually in every state, those paper ballots are counted by computers. They're tallied by computers, not by human beings. So, you know, simply saying, oh, open the source code, everything will be fine. No, that's not the solution. The solution, if you're wondering, uh, is to uh, hand count every paper ballot at the precinct before those ballots move everywhere. Hand count them in front of all the parties, all the people, all the video cameras uh, and whatever. The source is not uh, the, the solution is not open source. Don't buy it. No matter who you hear it from, uh, Democrats or Republicans. More importantly, perhaps, as we move forward, don't buy the uh, charade that Internet voting is safe. And this is something that we hear from Democrats and Republicans alike. Out here, uh, we've been hearing it uh, lately from Democrats out here in California. Oh, uh, you know, uh, it, it'll be fine. We can do it's not, you know, not perfect. It's not perfectly secure, but we can figure out how to make it secure. We can send someone to the moon. We can do our banking online uh, securely. We can do Internet voting securely. Well, guess what? Breaking news. You can't do your banking online securely. According to the New York Times and everyone else who is freaking out around the Internet today trying to fix this bug. Uh, that they didn't know about for years and years and years. Now, the worst thing that can happen here. I suppose, is that uh, you may have your uh, your credit card stolen, your bank password stolen, your identity stolen. Um, but that seems to me a lot less worse than having your election stolen and having your election stolen in a way that you had no idea it was stolen and that only years and years later you might find out, oh, yeah, we didn't know. Apparently all the, the, the data was compromised. Apparently that military-grade encryption they promised us, and I love when they do that, military-grade encryption for your Internet voting. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, yeah, well, what could go wrong is that the encryption keys could be stolen, just as has been the case here, just as uh, has left uh, Yahoo and Google and Tumblr and all the bank sites scrambling today. All the bank sites, by the way, that have billions of dollars to be able to uh, put together these secure programs versus your county clerk who is begging for dollars to uh, you know, even print enough paper ballots this year so that everyone can vote. So don't buy it, no matter who you're hearing it from. I had a, a conversation a few weeks back with David Curtis. Uh, he's the Green Party candidate out here uh, in California for Secretary of State. And uh, we had a conversation on Twitter. It was kind of a fun conversation. You can read it. I transcribed the entire thing over at bradblog.com. Uh, David Curtis, Green Party uh, candidate for Secretary of State. He is calling for a, quote, online method of voting. He believes that voting online can be, quote, both secure and verifiable. Of course, uh, the uh, computer security experts and computer scientists disagree. But, you know, you got all of these candidates and here a, a good Green Party candidate 
uh, still does not seem to understand that voting on the Internet cannot be done securely. Uh, he's the Green Party. Uh, over on the Democratic side, well, the number of candidates for the Secretary of State out here is getting smaller since one of those candidates, Leland Yee, senator, state senator, uh, has just been arrested on gun-running charges, which is a whole nother story. We'll get to another day. So he's out, but Leland Yee had previously called for Internet voting. He's running for Secretary of State in California, calls for Internet voting despite the fact that all the world-class security experts say, no, Mr. Yee, we can't do it securely. The uh, leading Democratic candidate for Secretary of State out here, Alexander Padilla, another state senator who has not yet been indicted for anything, um, though he hasn't uh, explicitly endorsed Internet voting schemes, to my knowledge, uh, as I spent a great deal of time reporting last year at Bradblog.com, Padilla has been less than forthright concerning his advocacy for unverifiable electronic voting systems. He misleadingly shepherded a radical new election reform uh, bill into law last year, which ended the longstanding requirement in this state for federal testing of new e-voting systems in California. And he granted unprecedented, the bill does, grants unprecedented power to the Secretary of State to approve new e-voting systems for use in a, quote, legally binding election, even without testing by state authorities. Uh, He's currently uh, leading the pack on the Democratic side, we are told. There's another Democratic candidate, uh, common cause, former Common Cause official Derek Cressman. He's avoided vocal support for Internet voting or other electronic voting uh, tabulation schemes. Instead, he's been focusing his candidacy largely on campaign finance reform uh, and uh, government transparency issues in the wake of Citizens United. That's good. I would like to know where he stands on uh, voting systems and Internet voting and if he understands the dangers. And then on the Republican side, uh, neither Pete Peterson nor Dan Schnur, who is a a former GOP strategist and spokesman who is running this year as an independent. (laughs) Uh, Neither of them, to my knowledge, are on record in regard to Internet voting at all. But uh, beware. Beware when you hear it. And I mention it because all across the country, you're going to hear this from all sorts of people. Hey, if we can bank uh, securely, why can't we vote securely? Well, the news is you can't. When it comes to banking, you can oversee your transaction. You can go uh, years later and check the transaction and make sure it was recorded accurately. The person you're transacting uh, transacting with, the bank, the credit card company, they can look and make sure that it's been recorded accurately. Not so with voting. You got to get it right. You got to get it right on uh, one day, on election day, and there's no way to know. It is strictly impossible to know if an internet vote was registered uh, as per the voters' intent. Period. Period. No wiggle room here. Or you can go ahead and do it and then just wait for years down the road when the New York Times comes out and tells you, uh, we got a problem, Houston. All right, before we get to Desi Doyne, stand by. Before we get to, uh, to Desi Doyne and the Green News Report, very quickly, uh, never have enough time. Uh, some good news out of Texas. A uh, federal judge has now ordered Texas to produce legislative documents that may prove polling place photo ID restriction law was racially motivated. 
there are uh, new laws that were put in place just after the Supreme Court last year uh, gutted, cut the heart out of the Voting Rights Act. Texas and states like North Carolina put in these laws that had been previously turned down, found to be discriminatory under the Voting Rights Act. That section of the Voting Rights Act, however, was uh, was killed by the Supreme Court, essentially. And so now all of these states are putting things in place uh, to try to keep Democratic-leaning voters from voting. That's what they're doing. In fact, uh, Mother Jones uh, reports today that 53 percent of the states that used to be covered by the Voting Rights Act Section 5 have now passed voting restrictions since it was gutted just last year. Well, in Texas, where the DOJ and in North Carolina, where the DOJ are suing those states uh, to block these new laws under the Voting Rights Act Section 2, Uh, They have been trying to get these emails that the legislators uh, may have written to each other in the lead up to this law, in the lead up to passing this law, to find out if there is evidence that these laws were purposely meant for discrimination. Now, of course, we know that they were because there is no other reason to pass these other than uh, to discriminate against certain voters. But now federal judges in both states have uh, determined that these Republicans must turn over those uh, those documents those legislative documents, at the very least, to the court uh, and to the DOJ. They, uh, in Texas, they're going to revisit the issue uh, once they get a little bit closer to the trial. The trial will be in, uh, in, in Texas in September, uh, and they'll take a look at those documents and decide if, in fact, they are germane to this case and, uh, or if they are protected as privileged documents, because, in fact, when you're a legislator, you do have the right to have certain documents privileged, kept secret um, as you're planning and working out legislation and so forth. But the judge in uh, both Texas and North Carolina decided that this is so important, this is such an important issue that uh, they can go ahead and release, uh, that has ordered them to go ahead and release these documents to the Department of Justice uh, the judge in Texas wrote, the evidence of the United States that the United States seeks to compel is highly relevant to its claim because it bears directly on whether state legislators, contrary to their public pronouncements, acted with discriminatory intent in enacting SB 14. That's the uh, Texas law. The federal government's interest in enforcing voting rights statutes is without question highly important. Further, the state's government role, government's role is direct. The motive and intent of the state legislator when it enacted SB 14 is the crux of this Voting Rights Act case. So that is potentially very good news. We have seen in other states in South Carolina where you had uh, one constituent wrote to a legislator um, that, <laughs> that black people at the voting booth were like honeybees surrounding watermelon. And the legislators wrote back and said, amen. Wonder if we'll see any of that in these uh, in these emails. Okay, let's do uh, let's do some green news. Melting for Desi Doyen. <laughs> and we really are melting out here today. Uh, 90 degrees, I should uh, I should note. Yeah, I haven't checked to see if yeah. that's a record yet for today or for this week. Well, we're, we're, we're flirting with records already. I will tell you that this time of year, the, uh, the average temperature is 73 degrees. So we're only, what, 
15 or 18 degrees higher. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. No, nothing to worry about. Nothing De- unusual about that at all. Desi Doyen, before we get to the Green News report, which includes a uh, some some Bill O'Reilly, your friend, your good friend, Bill O'Reilly, uh, you have been hosting uh, the uh, the Young Turks, guest hosting the Young Turks this week. Uh, yes. Several times. You'll be back on Friday as well. Uh, and you brought up this uh, issue, this other clip from Bill Maher that I'd like to play. Two clips, actually. The first clip, where do I have it here? Okay, the first clip here is, is actually Back in 2011, Bill O'Reilly was talking about uh, Tesla, the uh, car company, the awesome car company, and the money that they received from the government. Here's what Bill O'Reilly had to say in 2011 about the boondoggle that is Tesla receiving all of this money from the federal government. Tesla Motors, $523 million in losses. And they got $465 million bucks from the government. Don't you think there comes a point where the federal government has to be held accountable, responsible for wasting this money? Yeah, there you go. They have to be held responsible. For it's wasting a money. Wasting money. They, what were these were loan guarantees, right? The, right. Part they... of the Department of Energy Loan Guarantee Program. Only uh, they had wonderful success with the Department of Energy Loan Guarantee Program. Well, and uh, Well, but they didn't, uh, they didn't actually give them money. They just guaranteed the loan. Yeah, they just right? basically backed the loan. Yeah. That's all. And in some cases, they helped with loans to help the uh, companies get further and scale well, up. But in this particular case, Tesla paid their loan back within well, a year. So. Well, yeah. Well, don't tell Bill O'Reilly. He was furious about that in 2011. Nothing but a boondoggle. Everybody should be furious about it Uh, until last week. And as if 2011 never happened, Bill O'Reilly was singing a different tune. I'll give you one concrete thing that all responsible people should be rooting for. Tesla electric car, which is a game changer. (laughs) Car runs extremely well, looks good, doesn't use gas, no gas at all. So everybody on the planet should be rooting for Tesla. I mean, everybody. (laughs) Everybody. If Tesla can make a clean car, the entire automotive industry can. Therefore, the air would be cleaner everywhere and our wallets thicker. So let's get on it, people. Let's get on it, people. Suddenly. 2011 never happened. Erase those tapes, Fox News. Back when it was a, a, a boondoggle. It's almost as if uh, they're uh, hypocritical liars and they just make stuff up as they go. Over On Fox, Fox News? Yeah. What? Yeah. Sp- no. Yeah, I think so. Speaking of, uh, let's do our uh, our latest green news report. Kick it, G. You cannot destroy your economy while embracing some kind of phantom global warming theory, even if that theory might someday be valid. Someday is today, as study finds CNN and Fox News fail on climate change. There's two parts of this story, the ocean and the plane. (laughs) This, I think, is why human beings are not going to survive, because they couldn't see which was the important one. CNN looks for missing plane, finds an ocean full of garbage. Plus, it's being billed by the Department of Justice as the largest settlement in an environmental contamination case ever. Bigger even than the BP oil spill settlement a few years ago. Energy company fined for 85 years of toxic waste dumping. Better late than never? All of that and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Of course, I love Mother Earth. Just like the wise Native Americans with the buffalo, 
I believe we should exploit every part of the planet. Working on it, this is your Green News Report. There's still a couple of animals I haven't worn as shoes yet. Okay, Desi Doyen, we have been complaining on the Green News Report for uh, more than five years now about the lack of coverage in the corporate mainstream media about global warming. And now, all of a sudden, we're seeing a special on NBC about global warming on Sunday night. We're seeing a new series on Showtime called Years of Living Dangerously about global warming. Has the tide turned on this issue? Pardon the pun. Uh, no, not really. Only for some media outlets. Now, on the heels of the latest U.N. report last week warning that the window of opportunity is closing to act on climate change, now a new study finds that CNN and Fox News actually hurt the public's understanding of climate change by undermining climate science. So we have a few documentary shows, a few specials, but the news that most Americans watch every day is actually reversing our knowledge of what we should know. Yeah, according to a study by the Union of Concerned Scientists, over the year 2013, MSNBC's coverage of climate change was the most accurate, 93% of the time. CNN's coverage was misleading one-third of the time, mostly because they still insist on airing debates with climate change deniers. But at Fox News, boy, their reporting on climate science was accurate only 28% of the time. That means they mislead the public on climate change 72% of the time. And that's an improvement. I was going to say, not surprising. That sounds pretty good for Fox. Yeah, they used to get it accurate only 7% of the time. <laughs> it's no wonder Americans are so deeply uninformed about climate change when the top cable news channel misinforms them the vast majority of the time. Here, for example, is the top show on the top cable news channel. A UN report says that the Earth is in peril, grave danger. But again... Nobody really knows whether it's true. Well, yes, we do. The thousands of scientists who worked on the report that you're reporting on, Bill O'Reilly, say that it's true. What do you mean nobody knows if it's true? And speaking of CNN, CNN's highly criticized wall-to-wall -wall coverage of the search for the missing Malaysian Airlines plane has actually had one unusual side benefit, forcing CNN to accidentally notice that the ocean is filled with trash that's complicating their efforts to find the plane. In an interview with Fusion TV, comedian Bill Maher criticized the corporate media for, once again, focusing on the wrong thing. It's been a sobering experience uh, when one week after another we see, oh, there's all this debris floating in the ocean and all this stuff that we have to get out. Yeah, that's the stuff we need to get out of the ocean. Oil slicks and dead whales and cargo and plastic. Mm -hmm. The focus, as always in America, is on the wrong thing. We've been covering the Pacific Garbage Patch uh, for some years on the Green News Report. I don't think people understand this huge, huge pile of plastic garbage in the ocean, larger than the state of Texas. And that's only one part of the garbage that's out there in the ocean. And, of course, after finding all this ocean garbage, CNN immediately returned to ignoring it. Of course they did. In other news, a record settlement for toxic waste dumping in the U.S. The Justice Department has announced Anadarko Petroleum has agreed to pay a record $5 billion fine to settle all claims related to toxic chemical waste dumped at thousands of sites across the country by its subsidiary, Kerr-McGee, over 85 years. 
But don't worry about parent company Anadarko. Their stock soared on news of the settlement, closing up 14% in part because the DOJ's $5 billion settlement won't really hurt the company at all, as Rachel Maddow explains. Anadarko is a $51 billion company. On the same day they were ordered to pay that $5 billion fine, investors poured $6 billion back into the company's stock. They made money on the deal. Only in the oil and chemical industry can getting slapped with a $5 billion fine. The largest fine ever in the history of the republic. Only in that industry can that result in a great day for your bottom line. Pays to be the most profitable industry the world has ever known. It pays indeed. For much more on those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Good Green News Report today. Well, thanks. Yeah. I thought so. Yeah, good job. Now, because you've had a lot to deal with lately with these uh, IPCC reports. Yes. Uh, Three of the third one is now coming out on Sunday? Yes. On Sunday, they'll release the third phase of their latest assessment report. And remember, this is the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, which is headed up by the United Nations. Not that fake one. Not that NIPCC. Yeah, yeah. Ignore that. You don't want those guys. What you're talking about is the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They surveyed uh, over 12 thousand studies on climate science, uh, volunteer scientists from around the world that studied what was going on in the current state. They summarized that for policymakers. There have been, there will be three phases. The first one came out in October. That was the physical evidence of climate change, what we know and how we know it. Hoax. <laughs> no. And then on uh, March 31st, they released the second phase, which was the adaptation and mitigation of climate change. What we can expect to happen uh, coming on now with climate change, as we see it all around the world, from the poles to the equator, uh, every every single continent is affected and it's affecting it now. And also looking forward into the future about what the projections are going forward for sea level rise, for Fe- food production. Fear monger. And stuff like that. And no. the third and the third and one. The third Third one comes out on Sunday, and that is looking for what we can expect if we if we try different pathways to get better to 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 withdraw CO2 from the atmosphere. You know, what can we do? What can we expect these policies to possibly do? Sort of, you know, score them so people can get a sense of if they're going to work or not. Alarmist. No, actually, it's looking forward. This is what we got to do. The window of opportunity still is open, but it is closing. Nobody's listening to you. My (laughs) thanks to producer Desi Doyen. To our soundboard operator, G, to my guest, Sue Wilson from the MediaActionCenter.net. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 O'Clock Report. Big show today, documentarian Errol Morris and, wait for it, Bill Maher will be joining. John, you're not going to want to miss that. I'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog and, of course, at BradBlog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America.